NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. As part of our coverage of this year's fifth annual Napa Valley Film Festival, we're making a major effort to speak to as many filmmakers as possible from a variety of genres and types of films, not just narrative features, but short features, documentaries, even some experimental efforts. We're going to continue those conversations right now as I'm joined by Phil Fury. He has a documentary that is part of this year's Napa Valley Film Festival. It's entitled Since the Bombing of Pan Am Flight 103. He's the producer-director of the film. Phil, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. This is a subject that a lot of people don't think about. 28 years ago, the bombing of Pan Am 103 over Lockerbie in December of 1988. What drew you to this as as a subject for a documentary at this point? Well, I think there are many reasons that drew me uh, to the film and to the the subject of Pan Am Flight 103. Uh, But it was the fact that exactly what you just said, that it has been somewhat forgotten. Um, I don't. I don't remember a time where we would allow something as heinous as that. As I mean, it's as, it's as heinous as 9/11. It wasn't of the same scale as 9/11, but I can't imagine that we would ever get to a point where we would forget 9/11. I can't speak for us a hundred years from now, but it just made me incredibly sad that uh, something that happened to the general public uh, just based on a a stroke of luck of what day you happen to be flying uh, happened to end their lives just because they were a representative of the United States. Uh, Pan Am was a symbol of the United States and bombing Pan Am Flight 103 was a, a very, very strong message in in many ways, the bombing of Flight 103, of Pan Am 103 in 88, was in many ways an antecedent of 9-11. It was a different time and a different context, and, and we saw the whole issue of terrorism differently. But the fact of the matter is, the, the lines of understanding with respect to the public between what happened in 1988 and 9-11 are, are really clearly there. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why Pan Am Flight 103, uh, why it didn't have so much of a, a public space um, in the minds of the, of the American public is that it just, it didn't really happen on live television, just like 9-11 did. Uh, and there wasn't an internet to, to spread the news uh, wide and far. And so, yes, Pan Am Flight 103 was a precursor to uh, 9-11. And it was really the first instance where the general public was uh, being made victims uh, by terrorists to set an example. And it's just, it's incredibly sad to me that that Pan Am Flight 103, which was something that could have happened to anybody, uh, is something that we've allowed to just let slip from the public consciousness. And what is something that I also found even more fascinating when I started making the film is that it was just such a groundbreaking event on so many levels. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it was something that nobody was prepared for in any capacity. Uh, The United States government was not prepared for it. 
the airlines were not prepared for it. Pan Am especially wasn't prepared for it and eventually went down because of it. Um, it, it was a unique forensic criminal investigation. Uh, the, the crime scene of Pan Am Flight 103 spanned roughly 900 square miles. It ended up being an attack on one country by another country in another country. So there was just so much red tape and so much uh, dealings that had to go on behind the scenes in order for there to be uh, an investigation into the bombing of Pan Am Flight 103 and eventually a verdict. Um, it, it was just such a, a fascinating period of time that I just feel I can't believe that the general public doesn't know about because so much of what we do today when we travel we can thank the families of Pan Am Flight 103 for the the safety that we have in this day and age. Um, and had we listened to them when they were recommending changes to the airline security, we might have been able to stop and prevent 9-11 from happening because, you know, a lot of the families' recommendations were not taken into consideration until after 9-11. Also, one of the interesting things about 103 is that it came although it was the beginning of so much that we're dealing with today it was also the end of an era of innocence about airlines and about hijackings it had come at the end of a period of time when there had been so many airline hijackings not most of which ended fortunately without any loss of life it was becoming almost routine and and that changed the innocence of that changed after 103 yeah, I, I do think the innocence of that changed because with hijackings, there was always some kind of hope that there was going to be uh, a positive resolution. Um, you know, hijackings more often than not ended, I mean, the, the, amicably, I guess you could say, but, uh, you know, the planes of people weren't massacred. Uh, Pan Am Flight 103 was sort of the end of that, oh, okay, well, let's let's just hold up a whole plane and demand something and, and get something in return for it. And it was the next step up was, was just complete annihilation of everybody. Um, it was just, it's really just horrific. And it, I, it, it just saddens me again that, that there was nothing that people who were born after 1988, if you say Pan Am Flight 103 to them or Lockerbie, um, they look at you like you have two heads because they've never heard of it before. Mm -hmm. How did you go about setting this and, and really pulling together the information for this? Talk a little bit about it, how you began and a little bit about the process. Well, the film started as a, uh, a short film. In 2005, I was uh, looking for new stories to tell. And um, I was living in the New York area at the time, and I came across the story of Susa Lowenstein, who is this uh, sculptor in Montauk, New York, um, at the very end of Long Island. And I read some articles about her and uh, her amazing work of art, Dark Elegy, which uh, captures in time the the moment that around 80 women who were related to victims on the on the flight. Uh, they recreated the moment that they heard that the plane had gone down 
and for Sousa, and she sculpted this larger-than-life uh, work of art that is just gut-wrenching to see. And I wanted to make a short documentary about that, and so what ended up happening was I, I filmed uh, a few hours of material, and I was starting to edit it down into uh, you know, a 10-minute film or something. And I just couldn't bring myself to cut it down that much because it, it was just it was just so sad to me that I, I would be leaving this story after this short film, but at the same time, I didn't think that a short film in any way uh, did any essence to to her sculpture. And because you, you how you can't really explain the sculpture without explaining the backstory of how it got to that point. So for a couple of years, I sort of toiled over it and I didn't do anything with the footage. And then I woke up in 2007 or 2008 and I just had an epiphany that I, I was going to expand the film because I think that was what it was calling for. It was calling for a feature film about it. And uh, I just, I knew that I needed to, to bring some other opinions into the mix. So I got in touch with a few other families who were willing to speak to me. And I really just, uh, you know, just started gathering the information through speaking with them in as many interviews as possible and reading every book, of course, on the subject. Um, and just kind of being a voracious reader and listener. And, and I think that's really how you kind of just, you get into a film like that. You just really get absorbed by it. It became sort of my life for a long period of time. What did you learn as you got into doing this film that surprised you the most? Well, I, I mean, I think there, there are specific instances for, you know, from the stories of the families that, um, that surprised me, just particular stories about what they went through that surprised me, which were one of them was just the, the way in which the, the bodies of the victims came home. Uh, in early 1989, while there were still bodies laying in the fields in Scotland, uh, in Lockerbie, uh, the airline and the government started to, quote, ship uh, the bodies home. And it was sort of this horrific, horrific uh, exercise that the families had to go through. They went to the uh, JFK airport to receive their shipment, that's what it was called, uh, and they were directed to the livestock quarantine section uh, of the airport where the bodies were ripped out of a, a spray-painted truck um, and placed in front of the families by forklift um, in a standard wooden coffin. And it was just something that shocked them then, and it's, you can just see the pain, the anger is still resonant today when they reflect on that moment. And it's because there was no protocol whatsoever and there was no way to to even plan for this event that the united states government didn't have any sort of representatives there they the uh, pan am didn't have anyone there there were no hearses that were called um everybody had to sort of plan for this on their own it was just it was a, a real disaster and it, it was something that that just 
really struck the families and it, it got them to want to, to push for changes. And they did. And as a result, anytime something like this happens, uh, you know, there is someone traveling with the body at all times. Um, they might be draped with an American flag. Um, there's just these signs of respect that are there now uh, because of what the families um, went through. And I think that's what shocked me the most is the fact that all of these changes, you know, you hope that you never have to encounter these changes and, and you hope that you never have to encounter the good work of the families um, in working with the FBI and the government to be more responsive. Uh, but if you do, if you happen to fall upon uh, hard times and you happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, you will be grateful for the work that they went through. And it's sort of that silent burden that the families underwent um, that I think was the, 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 the one thing that really called out to me. It's interesting that you had to be thinking about, as you made this documentary, something more than, than other documentary filmmakers or filmmakers in general have to think about. It wasn't only how the public was going to view this film, but you had to have a certain sense of responsibility with respect to how the families were going to view this film. Talk about that. Yes, I was, uh, I was very, very concerned about how the families were going to view the film. And it's because they had opened their lives up to me uh, to such a degree that they had never done before. I mean, they had spoken to media, but I wasn't media. I was with them in their living room. I was, you know, there at those moments where, you know, something would come back rushing to them and, and they'd have to go lay down or something. And it was a very intimate moment um, uh, uh, and a very intimate experience for me to share with them. So I was mortified of what they might think of it. And, but I think it was that, it was that, 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 uh, that, you know, the, the, the expectation that I would deliver to them was, was something that shaped the way that I made the film. And so everything that I did, I took that into account. Is this something that they would be proud of? Is this something that they were going to regret opening their lives and opening their stories and their hearts to me? Um, and that just scared me so much that it really pushed me into making the best film and the most, uh, a very fair depiction of the film. It's, I, I like to think that it's honest and I put those moments in uh, with the family members that, you know, that, that are, are very honest perspectives um, that they, I mean, they have so many gems that I, I couldn't even put all of them in the film. But um, I do think that it, it was sort of, you know, the, their kids were 21 or 20 years old, uh, the, the three families that I selected in this film. Um, of course, there were people of all ages on the flight, but uh, the the children who were the 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 children who are the victims um, of uh, their parents are in my film. I, it was one of those things I felt very close to them story-wise because I had a very similar experience when I was in a senior in college. I did a semester abroad in London 
in my fall semester of my senior year, just as many of the students from Syracuse did. And I think I, I, I remember I flew home on the very same day that Pan Am Flight 103 happened uh, about 12 or 13 years later. Same exact flight from Heathrow to JFK. Uh, it was around the same time. And I just remembered when I was sitting on that plane, just this amazing sense of accomplishment that I had, um, having just lived in another country uh, for four months, traveling through Europe. I had a really fantastic internship that started my career and I just felt so content with my life. But at the same time, I, I, it was sad to leave London, uh, but I was excited to go home and to see my family. And this was December 21st, 2001. And Pan Am Flight 103 happened on December 21st, 1988. I, that could have been me if I was born 12 years earlier. And I just think that that, I was able to see myself in the disaster in a sense that a lot of other people may not have. And when I was sitting there interviewing the parents, I just, you know, it could have been my parents sitting there doing that interview. And that is what's the tragedy of terrorism is that the people who are killed, their, their identities are just not taken into account. It doesn't matter who they are. Um, and there's nothing worse than having to lose your life just for being there and just for being a warm body on a plane. I mean, that's just horrific. And when the families finally saw your film, tell us how they reacted. Uh, well, yes, uh, that, that was a very, um, uh, I was nervous on the, the, during those screenings, but, um, they were nervous too. Um, the families went into it. They didn't know what to expect. They, you know, had given me so many <laughs> years of their lives and um, shared so much information with me that they had to have. I mean, they trusted me so much, and that was that was really <laughs> that was weighing on me quite a bit. And when they saw the film, they they just came up to me and gave me hugs afterwards and they were just said, you know, we're just so glad that we did this with you. Um, and they, uh, they all said that, uh, it was something that captured the, the, their feelings so well. And it got the timeline down of the story of the history of the group, uh, of the family group, the victims of Pan Am play one Oh three. And uh, they were just, they were very pleased that uh, it ended up being, it wasn't distorted, it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't manipulated in any way. Um, and that to me uh, said that Spencer and I had, had done a good job. Phil Fury has filmed since the bombing of Pan Am Flight 103. His documentary is going to be screening at this year's Napa Valley Film Festival. Phil, I thank you so much for spending some time and giving us a little insight into the project. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com.